Hello, and welcome to another edition of Jaffa Cakes for Proust. John and myself, Gaddy, is... Mr. Tilted Icer. But wait, we have a special guest in the studio with us today. Hello, buddy. Kia ora, Gary and Tilt. How are you doing? Good, good. Yep, beautiful sunny morning here. This is all very confusing because we've got this wild time difference going on again. So where I am, it's evening. Where you are, it's tomorrow morning. And where you are, Tilt, I think it's something like 1983 or something like that. How dare you? California's way ahead of Scotland. But the really confusing thing is is that it's summer for Birdie. At least here it is winter and my fingers are cold. It's the third day of summer, officially. But it's good because, oh, you might not have known, but a couple of weeks ago we had a big earthquake, which put us out of business for the, the whole of Wellington out for a couple of days. Then we had massive flooding that closed all the roads out of Wellington, so we, people couldn't get home from work who'd managed to get in because their buildings had been opened after the earthquake. So we're, we're quite happy just to have a bit of sunshine now. Hopefully things are going to calm down. It's the best of both worlds, flooding and earthquakes. It's British, it's Californian. Funnily enough, that ties in quite well with our topic today, all these oh, wild God. natural... What? That was an excellent link. Come on, that was... Yes, I know, but I was listening to an old podcast recently and we did take way too long to get to the topic, so... The Changes! The Changes is a children's drama from 1975, from the BBC. It's a children's drama of a type... I don't know if it still exists. It might well still exist. I don't really watch British children's television anymore. I'm occasionally exposed to American children's television. And even though occasionally on this show we keep, like, harking back to a golden age and, oh, you couldn't do that anymore, I don't think children's television has suffered the same problems as adults' television has. Even now when I see something like Peppa Pig, I don't think, oh, dear, oh, dearie me. I know Peppa Pig's way at the other end of the spectrum, age-wise. But, yeah, there are some really terrible children's programmes out there, but there are some that stand up alongside anything that's ever been produced. I don't quite get the same sense that the television party is over. I can actually, like, put on Nickelodeon and enjoy a chunk of what they're showing. Gary, do you watch any British children's television? I occasionally get exposure to CBB's Nick Jr., that kind of thing. I don't really get to see anything like CBBC age-wise or anything like that. So, no, I really don't know. Maybe there's a whole block of 2016 dramas compatible to the changes that are out there today. But it could well be that perhaps children's TV is a little bit more under the radar. And perhaps even more so now that it's very unusual to have children's TV on the major terrestrial channels. You do occasionally get maybe a few minutes here or there on BBC One or ITV, but by and large, they're on their own stations now. CBBS. CBBC, CITV, and all the different satellite variations and so on. I think it's probably fair to say that you're not likely to get a show that's as expensively produced as it changes these days if it's going out for a niche channel as it is now. Who's to say we're not experts in the 2016 kids' TV field? That said, Birdie, I'm going to hand over to you first of all. You saw this at the time. Yes, I did. I did. And did it call to you at the time? Did you look at it and say, I am Nikki? Well, I think, you know, I had a Facebook conversation about this at, the, at some point until, because it did make, obviously, it made a, a huge impression on me at the time. And I remember when I was watching it back, one of the things, it sounds really lame, but one of the things that made the big impression about on me was Nikki's shoes. <laughs> she had these little <laughs> white sneakers, a little bit green on them. I thought those shoes were fantastic because I only had my shoes for school and I had some black plimsolls, um, or what I think you call them sand shoes, Gary, you know, for doing PE. Um, she had these lovely little white shoes. 
And I, that, I remembered those and I remembered the end. And so it made a huge impression on me, really did. But I, I, I couldn't remember a lot of the story. I didn't, I didn't remember anything about the Sikh um, community and stuff like that. But yeah, it made a huge impression. I don't know why, though. I think at that time I must have been reading things like T.H. White, The Sword in the Stone and things like that. And, you know, it is that hauntological thing. We were all reading things like Elidor and, and so forth. So maybe that has something to do with it as well. But what you said about Children's TV, I think that Changes was advertised as a serial for older children. And I think now that the line is so blurred with older children and teenagers watching really quite adult things. So that market's changed. And the only drama series I can remember my kids really getting into was something called The House of Anubis. It might have been on Nickelodeon. So I think it's just that, that kids are watching more sophisticated things now. And also adults are watching things that are essentially aimed at children. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, what a world. Okay, so let's Squeeze. touch on one point, first of all, because you said the H word there, Bertie. Yes, what is this, 2012? It's all about the vaporwave. Well, no, it's, it's actually vaporwave's over. I still don't know what vaporwave is. But anyway, hauntology. Is this really haunto? Title sequence categorically, yes. The stuff that's happening in episode one, where everybody's gone bonkers at the electrical devices, yes. By and large, though, over the course of the 10 episodes, is this really Honto, do you reckon? Honto is a broad church. By the way, I think we're the only ones who call it Honto. <laughs> I think I once saw a reply on the Mindless Ones blog where someone had put up an old Batman annual and somebody said, well, Honto, because it was, it was a battered old book. I picked that up and ran with it and I probably shouldn't have. There are a number of different strands in what the hip kids used to call hauntology and don't anymore. There are things that are meant to be scary and I think that's one of the things in the changes. There's a strand running through British children's television which appears to be somebody somewhere working for a television company has picked up an M.R. James book, looked at it and said, hey, the kids will love this. I mentioned it before, I was watching a drama-rama. My wife said, what's this? And I said, it's an old children's show. And she went, this is a children's show? No, the changes isn't quite so steeped in ghost stories. It's initially just what happens when society breaks down. The other strands of hauntology, which I don't think are in here as much, is things that are meant to be jolly and fail. Slightly over-detailed children's artwork that you could often get in the 70s. That could set you off. The hauntology thing. Oh, you know, I've looked up trying to understand what that's about because, you know, the things like the uh, Scarlet Council stuff, which I really, really like, but it just seems to be a kind of feeling or an atmosphere. And when you talked about ghosty things and so forth, there's the whole witchcraft theme that, that's running through where uh, Nikki is dragged off because, you know, she's a witch. I remember watch, when I was watching it being quite shocked, spoiler, when the guy goes into the canal and dies. And I was always a bit shocked about when they were having the fights. They said most people are dead, but actually showing a death on, on screen, I thought for that time was quite unusual for a children's program, actually seeing someone get killed, essentially. So there was that kind of spooky, spooky aspect to it, I think. I wonder if that is permitted when they've spent a long long time building up just how horrible that character is and even then there is a sort of proviso when there's one line in it where it says oh he didn't he didn't start like that he wasn't always horrible he just sort of went that way but because we see his behavior towards the others by the time in which he gets done away with you're sort of thinking oh thank god he's out of the picture watching that part of it i was thinking <laughs> there's a bit where nikki runs back with all the children and all the the village people are there with their you know sticks and things and the kids are running to the the, the, the people and the people look really quite old to be parents and stuff but i had a feeling of like you know i don't watch the walking dead but my husband does 
And I kind of thought if the zombie apocalypse was set in the UK, that's probably what it would be like. It would be people with sticks in Macintoshes, not all rippled with jeans and leather and looking really hard. It would be old men with sticks. Zombie apocalypse in Somerset. Oh, sorry, Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. Realistic. Well, to a, de- to a degree. I mean, come on. I think there's, there's little bits like a guy came out from a pub and he had a shirt on and the shirt was dirty. He thought, yeah, he probably, probably would have trouble washing things with no machines and so forth. Nikki's got access to a supply of shampoo that she never mentions. There's actually a bit of a metaphor going on with her hair. I don't know if you noticed this. But in the beginning, she has her hair in bunches. I have a note here. I have a note here. Because there's one bit where she lets her bunches out. She's like, And the look on her face is like, <sighs> She does. She takes her bunches out because this is like freedom. And she ties it back just with a little bobble. So it's just off her face. But by the end, her hair is completely free and flowing. It's about liberation and freedom. But no, she does have very nice hair. I don't know why she didn't put it on a ponytail. It seemed quite impractical. When I said it was realistic, I was referring specifically to the fight scenes. Now, I know you've got the business where <laughs> sometimes on horses and what have you, and they've got the, the swords. But generally speaking, when you've got older, middle-aged men having a scrap, it shouldn't look like a fight that's been well choreographed in a Bruce Lee film. It should be two old men having a scrap. And when we look at how sort of violent or otherwise the show was, there wasn't anything in this that I thought was unsuitable as opposed to Gideon, which I still think was unsuitable. So <laughs> that's still the benchmark. No, 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 no. We're talking about Tim Burke Taylor cartoon in which, what, what is it, a rabbit is killed on the screen or something like that? This is a, a rabbit is thing. killed on the screen within the first 10 seconds. Don't worry. It's not a live-action rabbit, it's a cartoon rabbit. However, in the drama Warrior Queen, which is on our list to do with G, there is a duck, or is it a goose, that has its throat cut on camera. And that was another children's drama of the 70s. Crikey, what was that about? Boudicca. I'm going to look it up later, I think I've seen it. I'll let you know. There was one bit which I felt wasn't violent enough, and that's when your man from Rent-A-Ghost, when he's on the horseback having the fight with the Sikhs, when he eventually falls off the horse... I felt that the, the, the Seeky should have said, right, I am going to chop you up into a thousand pieces. And he goes ahead and does it. When he came off the horse and he picked up a basket to defend himself. Yes. <laughs> you see, that's when you knew you were watching a kid's program because they were the robbers. And when they came in and they, um, I'll have a mug of ale from that guy. And um, after they drunk their mug of ale, they smashed the cups. I thought, yeah, it's a kid's program because they were really pantomime villains, weren't they? But yeah, defended himself with a basket. <laughs> As this for a more violent end for that guy then, what should happen is he should fall off the horse, but it, one of his feet should be in the stirrups, and the seat guy should just smack the horse on the backside, and it runs off and drags him across the countryside, where he's basically minced, like a certain character in Paul Dark. See, I avoided a spoiler for Paul Dark there. Are we doing this all in the wrong order? Should we just say what happens in episode one of The Changes? She should give a little synopsis because most people might not have seen this program. Nikki is a typical girl of age. 14, I think. Right. The actress was 19. Was she? Wow. And she lives with her parents who are expecting a baby. And then one day there's bad news. And you know it's really bad because it's not Corbett Woodall reading it. Corbett Woodall was reading it. It might be a comedy. And her father, played by Bernard Horsfall enemy of the door fence he goes crazy and smashes up the tv and everybody starts smashing up technology everywhere including the bicycles well as Kraftwerk said a bicycle is a machine that cannot go backwards therefore it really does represent technological progress in a way that no other transportation does wow 
It's very sudden. Everybody goes crazy. Technology is over. And we have this peculiar little post-apocalyptic world without any greater explanation of what the apocalypse was. But there is a slight sense of junior threads a few years early. And it comes down to something we talked about when we did The Good Life. James Burke in Connections. He starts off by talking about what happens if the power goes out and you can't operate technology anymore. Would you know how to plough a field? There's a question that 70s society was asking itself about the pace of technological change and dependency on technology. And I suppose there's also a post-hippie-ish thing. Should we just get back to the land for our own sake? And this is all about people who are thrust back to the land. And I'm guessing it's meant to be a, a worldwide phenomenon. But for some reason, everybody decides they're safer off in France. And Nikki gets separated from her parents. So her parents go to France without her. There's a really strange thing happening inside this show, which in some ways it's pulling its punches, which makes it simultaneously unrealistic and very realistic. People don't really, after the initial outbreak of technology bashing, people don't really freak out that much. And Nikki certainly doesn't. This is not about Nikki going through a colossal trauma, and not holding it together. So in some ways you can say, well, it's for older children, but it is still for children, so we don't want to show anything too unpleasant. But also, it's something I don't think you get reflected in that many stories of this type. The idea of the person who's in the middle of it who just gets on with life. I'm I'm trying not to turn this into uh, our kids these days, they're all whiny. But the war has only been over for 30 years. So this idea of people living through a daily trauma and just... I don't want, do I want to use the words keep calm and carry on? People who kept calm and carried on. So you could watch this and think, well, this is bizarre. She'd just be in pieces. She'd just be in a fetal ball in the corner of her room. It seems unrealistic. And yet, on the other hand, we've... Time and time again, we've seen people just pull themselves up and say, well, I'll just do something. And I think it makes Nikki a really compelling central figure. Because in some ways she just moves with the plot. It looks like they've decided, look, this is an entertainment for children, so she will just move with the plot, but it gives her this fundamental core of stick Often you will see people attempting to make compelling female central characters, and one of the cheapest ways is making them feisty. And them always like, you know, always ready for a scrap. And Nikki isn't feisty, is not always ready for a scrap, but she is incredibly strong. When she finds herself embedded with the Sikh family, one of the Sikh kids says to her, I don't know how I would cope if I was separated from my mother and father. I'd, be, I'd just be crying my eyes out. And Nikki says, well, what good would crying do? She's very down to earth. She's very practical. They're very British, aren't they? Essentially, they're very British. But this is not a xenophobic show. No, but there is, you know, even they're very, um, like with the parents, and I have to say, when, when it turns out the mother's pregnant, I went, shut up. She looked a very, well, she, she looked about 52. I was surprised that she was pregnant. Hell of a gap between the kids, eh? Right, she looks 52 in 1975. That probably makes her about 27. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a gap, though, between Nikki and the baby. I'm very suspicious. But I get on with it. He carries his, carries his pipe around, you know, carries his pipe. But very British at, at that time, what, you know, getting on with it. Typical stiff upper lip thing going on. But yeah, I'd say she was, I don't know, she was strong, but very capable. Obviously very capable and practical. And that's why her parents could say, look, she'll be fine. Callous. 
just to clarify, Brody, when you say it's suspicious that our mother's expecting, are you suggesting that what the, the Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West, has been up to his old tricks again or something? Do you think there's something good on there? It's just a big gap. I imagine that Nicky will be mortified. Ugh. Jeez, Mum. Could be fertility issues. Who knows? But yeah, you, 14 years mortified when their parents get pregnant. Ooh, it's disgusting. It would be the milkman in 1975. It would be the milkman. Do you think? Because I was thinking that if it was the postman, it'd probably be Lanny Martin, I'm imagining. Probably not Bill Perry. No, it was the Lothario. The, every town had one. I think they were Oh, what, the Johnny council. Briggs. Johnny Briggs. That's who it is. It was the window cleaner. It was Robin Asquith. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. God, do you know, in 25 years, living in New Zealand, I've never seen a window cleaner. Or maybe it was her husband, because let's face it, he's pipe-smoking Bernard Horsfall. And in 1975, it was that or Peter Wingard. So it's just at Nikki again, though. Everything goes mad. She's broken the toaster. It's a total wreck, the house, which, by the way, she makes no attempt to clean up when she's left on her own. And the first thing she does is she goes to school because she's got a test. I mean, clearly school was not going to be open. She might be capable, but I think she's a bit thick as well. I was more sort of astonished that somebody who was offered the chance to be off school for the day didn't want to take that option because I would have looked for any option. It's like with the earthquake. First thing I did when we had an earthquake, as soon as I could, I phoned the hotline at work to, and fingers crossed that the building was going to be closed for the day while they inspected it. It's like a snow day. And then off she trots to school. Oh, what a stupid girl. One thing I've got to mention before we lose sight of this, that television they had was fantastic, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. At the buttons at the top, <laughs> at the top of the set. It was amazing. I've never seen a set like it. Oh, and that one, talk, talk about an act of vandalism. Manny probably damaged the ashtray when he was doing it as well. Do you think it had a button on it that said ITA2? Probably, oh, yes, probably. Yeah, we had one of those at school. You remember the big the, the TV on the huge metal stand that had an ITA2 button? Did you have, and you, you had, a, it's a wooden cabinet, wasn't it? You closed the doors afterwards. Yeah, yeah, we had one of those. Caught, and it had like eight channels on it when you had three channels. So five of them were always going to stay completely redundant. You turn it off at the end and the little three dots come together, don't they? The little coloured dot. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. They should do something like that on your TV so you can make that happen again. Oh, I wish. There's probably somebody out there who's done it. Okay, so what do we think about this show? And I didn't think it outstayed its welcome. I'll just say straight away, I really enjoyed this. Because I know till you had concerns that I wasn't necessarily going to like this. Because I'm not a big drama buff. I don't really watch a lot of drama. But I was hooked on this. And at no point did I think that it outstayed its welcome. But what do we all think, generally speaking, about it being ten parts? Because it is quite lengthy. And there's quite a lot of different chapters to this. I suspect if this was around nowadays, I think it probably would end up being a six-parter. And a lot of it would be condensed. Well, it's a picaresque narrative, isn't it? So it's okay to have a little bit of room just to wander around more. If it was six parts, which subplot do you choose to be cut out? I mean, it was very slow moving. When I watched it at the beginning, I thought there was pretty much total absence of any background music. And you know now that there would be background music to move the drama along. And a lot of that first part where she's wandering around or just wandering around the house and they think, well, this, gosh, it does take a long time to get going. I don't know, are those subplots? What subplots would you cut out? It was quite slow moving. You probably would have to, um, probably could have been cut out. I actually thought that, although you've got a few key bits and pieces to do with Nikki being able to feel the vibes where other people can't, I suspect that the bit that would get cut out now, purely for practical reasons, would be the business with the Sikh family because it's the only section that you could realistically remove and then not have a huge gaping hole in the plot because you could transition from 
the point where the old man says to her, look, you need to get out of here and don't take the main roads, stick to the country and so on. You could transition from that to when she's on the horse and cart going towards, as she intends, the south coast. So you probably still need a few bits and pieces in there just to establish that there's something special about Nikki and that she can pick up on certain things that others can't. But otherwise, the whole business about the two sort of competing groups in the village and the invaders coming in and so on, it's not absolutely essential. I don't know. I mean, I think the thing things that for, for that time, that was probably quite important because you think in the in the 70s, you're only about, what, 10 or 12 years from the, the big wave of, of immigrants that came over from India and so forth. So there's probably there's probably something quite important about that. I'm not sure what it is. And some of it did drag on. If you're looking for something to cut, there's the man who rules the village because he owns a sword. <laughs> So he gets killed really nastily off screen, doesn't he? I mean, he's a wrong one. It's described, but we don't, we don't, we don't see no, it. No, but it's still yeah. quite nasty. And let's not forget what they were going. They rounded up all the children, put them in a barn, and were going to set light to the children. It's quite, quite dark, isn't it? It is, yes. It's, I mean, I know what you're saying, Tilt, about it. It, it pulls its punches in some ways, but in other ways, in terms of descriptions of things that are happening, then, yeah, it's quite detailed. It's quite grisly. Yeah, I suspect that perhaps elements like that nowadays might be toned down a little bit. And maybe somebody, for example, somebody doesn't have their death described is simply that they're no longer in the picture. But what I mean is if you want to tighten up the story, combine Swordman with Davy Gordon. So just combine that because we do have two different situations where Nikki comes into a village and there's some miserable old swine in charge. Faces, by the way, faces are spotted. Old fellow with his cat at the beginning, who says to Nikki, look, you want to get out of here and what have you. That's Cluffy from the Likely Lads, Bartlett Mullins. The guy who was driving the the cart, the horse, when she had left the Sikh family and she was en route and then she fell off and what have you, that's the coach driver from Jolly Boys Outing, Only Fools and Horses. Roy Evans, yeah? Yes. And also the fellow of the hat who says... At the end, look, we don't want to say that we were a village that let others fight our battles and what have you. Let's join together and we'll live side by side with the Sikhs and what have you. I know he wasn't, but he should have been Tommy Trinder. Why? Because he looked a bit like Tommy Trinder, that's why. He had a Macintosh, didn't he? I was just waiting for him to appear on screen and say, Oi, oi, you lucky people. But no, it didn't happen. Disappointing. Now, this is a question. Here's a question. So, I understood from something that happened, they mentioned Gloucestershire. How is it that everybody spoke vaguely, <clears throat> rustically, you know, sort of like this, or you Davy, or you and yet Nikki is so well-spoken. What the heck's going on? Where was this meant to be set? Well, there's a long journey, isn't there, with the Sikhs. The Sikhs are coming into town. Nikki says, I've heard stuff. This isn't a good town to come into. So she journeys with them out into the countryside. So Nikki comes from a large city. Also, if we can just leap forward, I don't really want to spoil the ending. Nikki understands Latin. Well, yes, that's because she goes to a good school. I understood the Latin as well. (laughs) Was that a more common thing? Oh, I did Latin. It was an option at my school because, well, okay, so 1975, that was just before the education system changed. So, like, I went to secondary school. I started in 77, and that was the second year of the comprehensive system. So that was when we moved from, you know, the grammar school system. So my school, it was created from two grammar schools. So a lot of the teachers, you know, they were still teaching the same kind of subjects and stuff. So Latin, yeah, Latin was offered at my school. I did Latin at O-level. So possibly bright kids might have still done Latin. I did ancient Greek as well. (laughs) 
<laughs> I failed it. We've established that Nikki is quite studious, so it's not a surprise that she knows Latin, is it? And it it came in handy. very handy towards the end, didn't it? I loved that caravan at the end as well. That was fantastic, that little caravan that guy had. I loved that. Something I made a little scribble of, which I actually quite liked, and I suspect that you would not get this in any kind of... I know I know, it's just like shorthand for what people say for like this kind of film now, but zombie apocalypse films, so, you know, like the usual kind of stuff. 28 Days Later, that kind of stuff. And I presume that isn't even a zombie apocalypse film, but I haven't got a clue, because obviously I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I presume that, to use an analogy, right, Shaun of the Dead. Have we all seen Shaun of the Dead? Anybody who's had access to ITV2 over the last 10 years has seen it probably every other day. Okay, no, no spoilers, no spoilers. To begin with, they get the news of what's going on from the TV, and they then keep in touch with the TV to find out what's going on, and they're sort of like, they're waiting to find out what we're supposed to be doing next. Later on, when they're in the pub, they're checking all the TV channels to see, is there anything there? Is there anything there? What's happening? What's happening? Whereas, we've got that little bit right at the beginning, before Ben and Horsefall goes, you know, all in, where the newsreader says, so there's a bit of badness going on with the weather and what have you. But otherwise, there's no point anywhere where we have any media. We don't have any media, we don't have any television, we don't have any radio, and we don't have even have any newspapers or anything like that. There's no media at all. People are just getting on with their lives as best they can, and it's all sort of word of mouth. Now, I actually quite like that. <laughs> it was quite nice not having opinion pieces by <laughs> noisy writers, <laughs> Piers Morgan and so on, saying, well, I'll tell you why this happened, right? And then Rod Little gets into an argument with him on Twitter about, well, actually, no, I think it was because of this. That's how it would turn out now if this happened tomorrow. Okay, you've got tensions and marauders and all that kind of stuff, but at least nobody's being mouthy or being a contrarian. Or Actually, there is one point where the Sikh fellow says, oh, and what was that he said? No, it wasn't the Sikh fellow, it was Bernard Horsfall, when he says, yeah, there are a few cars around if you're willing to pay for them. Somebody's making money out of this. So even then, there's always like that sort of, there's going to be some wrong ones around. There's going to be some black marketeers around. What have you? We never get much of that either. I don't get any apart from the seats. I don't get any sense of this was a a chance to turn back to simpler things and people were going to be getting together. It was going to be lovely. His paint is pretty horrible. People were horrible to each other, apart from the seats. What about the the couple that turn up later on? They've got the newborn baby. She says at one point we, we thought it would actually be quite nice to sort of yes, get back to it. But, but they had already taken that choice. They'd already decided to get away from things, and that's why they'd come to where they were. So they were already in that place. So for them, it was less of an impact for them because they were already in that sort of hippie place. And I have to say, that's 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 couple. That sent me on one of those Google Wikipedia journeys because I swore that guy was somebody else. I swore he was Patrick Reichart. So his name's Tom Shabon. And I got mixed up with Patrick Rycat, who I remembered from a Sunday afternoon television serial called The Talisman, based on a Walter Scott series in the 70s. I tell you, that took me about half an hour trying to remember that. It drove me nuts. But anyway, yeah, they're hippies already. They already live in that kind of life, so it's a bit different for them. I thought they were going to turn out to be evil, actually. We came here to get away from it all. Blah, 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 blah. They're going to have some sort of underground scene that they're in charge of or whatever. And yeah, they're going to be playing all that... Uh punk rocker music and again if you want to cut to the chase and trim it down to six episodes have them be responsible for the changes i made the bad world go away if this wasn't a children's show i think they would have turned out to have been swingers <laughs> oh my god they did look like that though didn't they <laughs> yeah they look like louis farouche and making a documentary about them oh the 70s <laughs>
Okay, now the question is, and this is the question that everybody who's listening wants answered, so we've got to ask it, and we've got to answer it. How would Tom and Barbara Good have coped with the changes? Right. Where is it they live? Surbiton, isn't it? Right. You know Swordman and Davy Gordon? Tom Good is that figure in Surbiton. He rules Surbiton because he has lots of spare turnips. And he's an evil, evil man, isn't he, Tom Good? What happens to Jerry, though? Does Tom slay Jerry and take his wife for his own? Does Tom have many wives? I don't know that they could cope very well, actually. You know, the way they can become self-sufficient is they have their own generator and things like that. So he'd be in the same position as anyone else with that machinery. Surely, they, you know, they have vegetables and stuff, but he still needs machinery to be self-sufficient. So he'd be in a bit of a pickle. To be completely self-sufficient, he needs machinery, but to have the edge on everybody else... He's already there. He can plough and scatter. Do you know what, Ryan? I think if you're going to make a move between Tom Good before the changes and then Davy Swordman at the other end, right? Do you know who's in between those two as part of the transition? Martin Bryce. Tom would become Martin Bryce and then he becomes Swordman. If you left Martin Bryce to his own devices, eventually he would become Swordman, wouldn't he? Ralph Tanner is dead. Just thought we'd complete the triple there. I, I have a note here. Davy Gordon and Dad's Army private fiefdoms in time of emergency. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I occasionally bump into in children's dramas of this time is a fascination with history. And this is in some ways a historical drama in that the new world she finds herself in has become like medieval times. One of the reasons I think that the story does not hit you over the head saying, oh, you just fall to bits is... People lived like this for a very long time. The world Nikki's grown up in of televisions, that's actually a very young world. But it does mean that the world is now partially being run by Grosser Hodges. Every town has one now. On the one hand, you've got the British stiff upper lip characteristics. But on the other hand, you have a British pettiness. The world is run by Jobsworths. It is a worldwide thing, isn't it, the changes? It is all centred on the UK, because why not? Yeah, and I, I did think about myself, that well, if it was happening in just the UK, well, wouldn't somebody have tried to get to the UK? They'd notice that, oh, something's happening, we're not getting any, uh, I don't know, whatever we exported or something. But um, yes, yeah, so maybe it was happening everywhere else. Oh, hang on a minute, what was the thing in Latin? Turbit mundum or something? There was a thing in the Latin that had said something about disturbing the world. Yes, you're right. Though then again, if you're going to have an ominous Latin phrase, you, you wouldn't put, I will inconvenience Gloucestershire. That must have been ha- it must have been all over the world. Okay, so there's a description when they're with the couple at the end, and there's a description the of the seasons changing and so on. Yeah, they're, they're describing about how the seasons have changed and so on. So we've got to assume that maybe, is this all taking the best part of a year, do you reckon? Until that bit came up, they said about, you know, it being snow in July and stuff like that. I had noticed the passage of time because I think, I just know. I, I remember. I remember thinking to myself that they'd been nice and sunny, and that it was getting cold and stuff. So I thought it had at least taken a year. But then they said the seasons were out of whack, so I got a bit confused. But I certainly got this idea that it was. It took some time. So apart from your self-appointed mannerings and what have you, here, there, and everywhere, you don't have any actual officials. You never see the Prime Minister. You never see the United Nations discussing the issue. You never even have the man from the Ministry wandering along in a bowler hat saying, what's going on here then? So everybody's sort of left to their own devices. And they seem, like you said, Till, they seem to be, generally speaking, most people are coping relatively well. Okay, something seismic happens. 
and it causes huge disruption for the planet, but it doesn't actually cause anarchy. Do you think that this is what it would be like in 2016 if suddenly the internet disappeared? I don't mean everybody smashing up the machines. I mean, forget that bit. I just Are mean you trying to lure me of... into complaining about people nowadays? Yes. Yeah, it'd be looting. They'd be looting. That whole Bernard Horsfall quality is gone, I think, from the British character. Or is it just that we've got now a media that only shows us the worst of ourselves? Does that become a self-fulfilling prophecy because the news is full of people freaking out, complaining, and we have so much, like you're saying about the media, we have so much media looking to assign blame for everything. Every single thing that happens can be framed as a bad thing and then blamed on millennials. Well, not always blamed on millennials necessarily, but it's got to be blamed on somebody. It usually is, though. The headlines is usually why millennials are killing off the industry, which is basically anything people under the age of 35 don't do that people over the age of 35 do do. That is apparently millennials killing that thing off. I haven't really noticed it like that. I mean, yeah, there's definitely uh, always a search for somebody to blame. And there's a search for immediate justice to be seen to be done. And in terms of what you're saying about people being seen on the media panicking about things, quite often I suspect that it's the media that's caused that panic, that they've stoked that panic in the first place. And so that's what was quite nice about this, was that there wasn't really any meddling sort of outside factor. That There wasn't any third party coming in saying, no, you can't do this, can't do that. Okay, yeah, you've got elements of the sort of Wild West about the place, where people can just suddenly ride in on horseback and say, right, we're taking over this place. But at the same time, it wasn't as if Nikki had to fight her way through immense amounts of bureaucracy in order to then get to the, the, the cavern, for instance. I mean, okay, it all comes down to how it's been written and how it's been uh, framed and so on, but it was, it was quite nice that, by and large, everybody's sort of allowed to succeed and fail on their own efforts, so to speak. It's so how people react. Let me take you back again to what we said before we came, we started recording. I was talking about earthquakes. And so a couple of years back, we had another big one in, in Wellington and it was during the day. So the office, what happens when there's an earthquake in Wellington is that all the rail services are suspended. And obviously there are a lot of people that, that work in town. So we were out in the streets and there were people with cars. What was happening was people were slowing down and saying, OK, so we're going to Tower, we're going to Wellington, do you want to hop in? So people started helping each other. And then the police also came along, was stopping people saying, hey, you've only got two people in your car, can you take another few more people? So that sort of thing happens. When This time around, we had things set up where people were carpooling to, to try and get back, even though the roads were going to be closed for some time. And you have things like that happening. I th- I th- there was one big story where people had to abandon their, one of their housing in Christchurch in this earthquake and people came in and stole their stuff. And immediately, donations flooded in. So I actually think although you can read from, from the papers about doom and gloom, and especially in the Daily Mail, um, when it actually happens, people are basically good and will help each other. Maybe it's different in big cities. Maybe it's different in the UK. But certainly uh, on that, that day last couple of weeks ago, Prime Minister was on TV telling us what was happening in a parliament and all the things that were going on and, and very much reassuring, I guess. I think paper basically is still good and things would work out okay if there was an apocalypse. But were they better in the 70s? One thing that's in this particular drama, which causes the, the type of conflict that we've got, if you had a situation where the country was at war, for example, and there was a clearly defined enemy, there was a clearly defined opposition 
then everybody in the country gets together and all works for the defeat of that enemy. Whereas in this particular instance, nobody knows what's going on. They just know that something is wrong, but they've all got different sort of theories and ideas as to what it is that's up. And so that's how we end up with all this nonsense about either the devil children, sort of, they don't know who the enemy is. So they can all club together for the defeat of the single enemy and they're fighting amongst each other. They do fall against sort of British things like with sword men. He's obviously got a town council set up, and with Witchfinder Man, there's some kind of town council. They do try to look to establishing order and rule. You know, it's not chaos. It's not walking dead, people running around shooting people and going crazy. It's, hmm, British, better put some rules in place, you know? The way the police were. So there's that element as well, isn't it? They don't like anarchy, the British. I was wondering about that. Where they all were the police? I didn't see anybody. I was waiting for for David Lodge to turn up at one point, and he never did. The bicycles have gone. Where were the police going to be? And why were they all sitting around drinking ale? How were they making this beer? Oh, I don't know. There's some holes in this plot. Well, wasn't homebrew a lot bigger back then? So are we saying that George Roper is basically in charge of the booze? He's making it in his kitchen with his bucket and he's got his, the stuff that he's taken off out of the, the loft that he was using for the lagging and what have you. And he's, he's, or maybe Stan Butler, he, he tried a bit of that as well, and he made it far too strong and, and got completely pie-eyed on it. But yeah, so okay, we can have various people in charge of the booze. Because so, in that point where Witchfinder General, he actually says, oh, I reckon we've got time for a couple more flagons, haven't we, fellas? And I, I was actually <laughs> yes. thinking, I was really hoping at one point that their downfall was going to be that they all just got legless and therefore Nicky and the rest of them just went whizzing past them in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Giving him the John Harvey. <laughs> I've got a note here. Davy Gordon has no other conversation because he just keeps going on about witchcraft. Getting back to... Uh, Hodges in Dad's Army, because at one point Hodges says, this war is the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> and Davy Gordon's like that, I think. It's sad, really. Yes. One thing I keep coming back to, I was recently a guest on the Cinema Limbo podcast here on the Podnos Network, and one thing I said about the problem I sometimes have with modern movies is they're made to a formula, and all the different stages and structures of modern Hollywood storytelling keep being recycled again and again and again, and it's become a professional writer is somebody who knows all the tricks. And one thing I like about old movies is the rules haven't set, and they're not really sure what direction they're going in. And so in this, realism would call for a heck of a lot more violence of various different types. Realism in quotes, realism as something one gets on television, rather than reality. So there's a lack of realism in in the changes, but sometimes there's a lot of reality. It's telling this story and saying, yeah, I know right now you're expecting something much more horrible to happen, but if this was real, it probably wouldn't happen at this point. The, the terrible bits are in little spots here and there. Yeah, absolutely. The thing about a 14-year-old girl being on her own, is it so, and it's just to, to make people want to be uh, gritty and real, isn't it? But really, what you're thinking, what I was thinking of is, God, nobody ever goes to the toilet. What's they, there's no plumbing. What's going on? Nobody seems to care about that. And that's, that would be more of a worry for me. Do you know what? I think there might actually be an element in this where those are, when you were just saying tilt about certain punches are pulled and what have you, I think there's maybe an inbuilt element here which prevents that from being the focus of the story. Right at the outset, Cluffy, I'm going to call him Cluffy in this, Cluffy says, stay away from the main streets. 
So do you think that perhaps like the, the cities, the more crowded areas, they are the places where the, it would, there would be the majority of the the, the bad incidents and the, the anarchy and so on, whereas perhaps the people who are uh, more sort of rural and perhaps people on the farms and what have you, they're better placed to cope with this anyway. So perhaps there's less likelihood of there being violence and so on. Well, it's definitely the idea of civilization is bad, therefore cities would be bad places. And I think also the, you know, when he said about the sickness, I mean, I'm assuming there's like cholera or something, you know, so maybe that's also what's happening in the cities because people are living closer together. But yeah, definitely the cities are a bad place to be. I'm just going to pull out my Sherlock Holmes quote, though. We're talking about how nice the, the rural areas are. It is my belief, Watson, founded upon my experience, that the lowest and vilest alleys in London do not present a more dreadful record of sin than does the smiling and beautiful countryside. Yeah, but he was a druggie, so what does he know? <laughs> no, it's interesting to tell that you just said there. I'm just going to check this on Google. Because surely that would be an absolute central focus of this if this was remade in 2016. Somebody would whip out the phone and go to look up something and then realise that they can't. And that would be in itself paralysing because everybody's now got used to having everything, all information at their fingertips all the time, at once, immediately. And then it would be taken away from you. Nikki carries it all in her head, all that Latin. That, that's what would happen now, is that she'd, she'd see the thing and she'd say, oh, I can't get a bloody signal in here. Oh, look, Pokemon. But yeah, and also that all the characters would keep on stopping to take photographs and upload to Instagram and take you know selfies and I'm being horrible to the modern era. This, no, is, this is not right. No, it's true. It's the same the other day at work. I said, one of the, the tragedies is that um, when you look at, I'm sorry, Daily Mail Online, but when you look at things like that and somebody's been killed or something terrible's happened to them, there'll be a picture of them and it'll be a bloody selfie with that duck pout. And I said to people, think about what happens if something happens to you. Somebody's going to take your, your Facebook profile or something. Do you want it to be a picture, a selfie, you duck pout? Because it looks ridiculous, you know? But that's what people do all the time now. Selfies with duck pouts. So is the Facebook profile picture, is this the modern day equivalent of make sure you have clean underpants on in case you get knocked down? Yes, it is. Oh, it's terrible when you see a picture. It'll be about a woman who's in trouble and she's in her 50s and there'll be a picture of that picture. That, I don't know how they do it, but they're standing in front of the mirror and she's trying to look sexy, and it's just awful. You think, oh, come on. Don't have those. She's probably a misprofile picture somewhere else, but do you want that to be on there when somebody's saying you've been arrested for something? Just horrible. I still can't figure out how people can take those pictures. Yeah, well, we don't sympathise with the problems of women in their 50s. I beg your pardon? <laughs> I beg your pardon? <laughs> no, you're on your own here, Till. I ain't getting you out of jail on this one. But, okay, Birdie, do you remember anybody else speaking about the changes at the time? No, I don't. I think it was one of those, did we even talk about TV? What was I? I was 10. My best friend was Anne Blythe from Brownies. Did we talk? I don't know if we spoke about it. No, I don't remember. I think it was one of those things. I know that I used to imagine what it would be like if I was in that situation. I think that sort of put it formed part of my imaginative fantasy life at that age. I suppose that's the thing about you know, really, it would be awful to be away from your parents at that age because you would miss them and they do everything. But there's that little bit of freedom. What would it be like to be on your own, sort of, you know, left in that situation? How would you cope? So I probably kept it to myself, but my, probably a bit of my private imaginative life rather than talking about it with friends. When you're saying imaginative life, part of me is thinking, is, is this trying to get to children and say, look, all the horrible things that might happen in the world, and we're still in the middle of the Cold War, be like Nikki and you'll be okay. I don't mean that it's made as a piece of propaganda, but 
there might be a conscious reassuring aspect to this, which is a good thing. Saying to these children, all your horrible, horrific fears can be confronted. When bad things happen, there is a chance that you might be able to push against them. Don't have nightmares, to quote Nick Ross. I don't know that it was like that in the, the 70s as a child. I, was, I talked to my um, daughters a while ago. We were talking about pre-Trump being elected. And they were saying, like, you know, at the end of the world, Trump gets in all these terrible things. And me and my husband were saying about what it was like when we were their age. And then it was co- it was the Cold War and it was, you know, uh, protect and survive. The, the idea of a nuclear holocaust was it was something real and tangible. You, you know, you had when the wind blows and stuff like that. You could imagine that something might happen. And, you, you know, you did have government giving you advice about that. So I can think about that as a teenager. But I don't think in the 70s that we had that. I don't think we had that kind of fear. Normalisation is not the right word for this, but is there a point at which, okay, if you've been living under the Cold War for a certain amount of time, it's not going to have quite the same impact on your day-to-day life as if you suddenly heard on the news that morning that there's a possibility that by the end of today, then the whole planet might be obliterated. But this has now just become an everyday thing to an extent. It's it's just the way things are, and hopefully it's going to be manageable, and, and, and there you are. And as I understand it, I mean, people didn't necessarily know the specifics of something like the Cuban Missile Crisis until after the event. So people knew that there was something going on, but they weren't necessarily told the, the, the minutiae of just exactly how close we came to, you know, Destruction Day uh, and how we avoided that. Those kind of details tend to come out and declassified documents after the event. So this is not what I was expecting, to be honest. When, when you were telling me about this tilt and you were telling me about the sort of the backdrop to it and what have you, Part of me was just sort of expecting it to be Bernard Horsfall just going around smashing things up for 10 episodes. Episode 10, he comes up against the Soda Stream and says, I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> I would have loved a Soda Stream. That was like the epitome of sophistication back in those days. We didn't have one. We should have had Birdie on for the squirrels. Love the squirrels. Do you know what I thought this was going to be like? I thought it's going to be pedal, pedal, pedal. A little bit, slow down, slow down, a little bit less pedal. Oh, more pedal, 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 pedal. And I thought that's what it was going to be like for 10 episodes without taking a breath. And it wasn't like that at all. It was a story. And it told you a story. And sometimes it was a bit of pedal. And then those long periods of, okay, what do we need to do? We need to do this and do that and so on and so on and so on. And lots of dialogue and things like that. So I was really impressed by it. I don't know why I was expecting it necessarily just to be one big attempted sort of fright fest. Everybody running around as if it was some sort of disaster movie or something like that. I love the way you say peril. <laughs> Even the actual perilous moments weren't that perilous, were they? Some of the child actors weren't very good either. That Indian girl wasn't terribly good, was she? Yeah, but I mean, her life has clearly been significantly turned around by Nikki. Just a few bits, it's like, wow, I'm woke now. I am coming with you, Nikki. All the way through, actually, there were these strange little bits where people talked to each other like it was an English language instruction program. I think part of it was... Because all the technology is meant to be gone, the world is meant to be much quieter. So there's, and it's, this is all location footage. So the impression in my mind is, is like, right, we have to shoot this like an Italian movie, make it silent, post-production sound. And as we know ahead of time that that's what we're doing, everybody talk a little bit slower. It'll be easier when we get to the dubbing suite. But there is that thing of, what is happening? But it made it nicely eerie. Yes, it was. It was eerie. Actually, can I just check, Till, because of the changes themselves and how they've affected electronics, is that actually why this was all on film rather than VT? Somebody tell him. (laughs) 
I tell you what, some of the stock footage was extraordinary, wasn't it? These sort of trains and <laughs> things tumbling and things blowing up and the lightning. It was just like, hmm. Well, actually, that goes back to things that you wouldn't necessarily get in a more sort of sugar-coated manner. There were certain things which were not described but were implied by the use of the footage. So, for example, when she's picturing everything that's just happened, there's a shot of a train going through a tunnel and then there's a separate shot of a train on fire. Now, the implication is that that's a train with people on it and then it's on fire. Now, nobody has to tell you this. They don't have to be graphic about it, but just the mere implication of that with the way that it's presented. That's beyond Honto. That's, that's quite... I'm just thinking about that line. We mentioned it earlier with the couple and the wife just said, yeah, I lost my baby. Uh, Gary, bring up the listings. What time was this show? And I'm going to say this would be about, what, 4.40 just before Blue Peter? Or what, did Blue Peter go out at 4.40? My memory's completely messed up. It went out at 1.45 in the afternoon uh, as part of Watch with Mother. No, hang on. Right, I know. Uh, you've seen the magic fountain, Gary. That went out before Rainbow or after. Okay, here we go. Right, to March 1975, it was going out at 5.20. And a repeat in August of 76, it went out at 5.15. So that's post John Craven's news round. Just before Nationwide, basically. Well, South Today. South Today, Nationwide. So it is a bridging thing. It is a family watch-it-together idea. I don't think we've given enough time to Edward Brayshaw, Mr. Meeker from Rent-A-Ghost, leader of the robbers. There's something not quite adding up, because the robbers are all dressed in black. This should be a motorcycle group, but on horses, shouldn't they, really? They should have the helmets and the the, the, the jackets and everything. It's it's like there's been a miscommunication somewhere to wardrobe, just uh, dressed in black and there's some leather involved. Oh, I'll give him a pair of driving gloves. I think them dressing like, like, basically like the Sheriff of Nottingham. You didn't think that was enough? It was like pantomime. Well, that's the thing. They should, to be less pantomime... They should have had the look of a gang of bikers. And it's like, all right, so I can see. That's what happens to Hell's Angels when the motorbikes go away. Okay, so are you saying that they should have been played by Dudley Sutton in George Mildred the movie? Yes. So a whole big group of them. Hilary Minster's probably in there as well. A whole big group of them on motorbikes. And it's like, there's a thought, right? Okay, because what if they'd all turned up on motorcycles? And they weren't afraid of the motorcycles. And they were saying, oh, look at you, all afraid of machines. I'm happy, well, look at these. Eh? How are you going to beat these? And the answer would be with sledgehammers. But Yeah, I think people would have attacked them. They would have just seen the red mist. The changes would have got to them. They would have not thought of them about their own personal safety. There are no motorbike gangs roaming this changed Britain. Okay, so can we think of any comparable shows to this. Is there anything else that you can think of that, that was either from the same era or anything that till might be we remember watching sort of like late 80s? When, is there anything at all that's got this sort of aura about it? Nothing springing to mind, I have to say. I mean, occasionally you get things like Well, Gary, we're going slightly before it. our time. I bet if we asked this is almost getting too hard, just like I'm looking to camera. I bet if we asked the people at home they'd know do you believe in Nicky boys and girls? Well, clap your hands and tell us the names of some children's dramas like this. Do you know, I can't think of any, because I am of the age, I can't really think of any children's dramas. And I don't know it's because, well, at that age, I went to dancing lessons and I went four times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So I was out when a lot of this stuff was on. So I don't know, because, you know, we didn't have video. Oh, we didn't have, can you imagine that we didn't have videos? So I might have just missed stuff. 
I used to see mention of things like uh, programs like Lizzie Dripping, but I never actually saw it. Things like that. So I don't think um, I might have just missed it. I remember Sunday serials like Five Children and It. You know, uh, stuff like that. The Amulet, Box of Delights. Something involving an old Kit Kat. I can't remember what there was. There was some children's show, and it was set around about Christmas. But it wasn't the Box of Delight. And he emptied out his stocking, and there was a Kit Kat. He got been given a Kit Kat for Christmas. I was thinking, "Cool, look at the Kit Kat wrappers in the thirties. Wow, that's all I took away from the entire show. Can't even remember the title. So, other shows of this type, uh, I'm thinking. There's the Gift, Knights of God. That's from the eighties. That's a TVS production, Gary. But that's in a dystopian Britain. So, no, the only things I really can remember are Sunday dramas, and they were not set in the modern time. I really can't remember any children's dramas from that time, except this one. So that must have, like I say, it must have made a real impression. Well, that's why we ended up watching it, because you asked us about whether we were going to tackle it. Do you think this is actually more compatible, not necessarily with children's TV of the same time, but do you think this is more compatible with Children's Film Foundation? Yes, it, it just feels like that, doesn't it? And although a lot of the CFF films that we looked at in Jaffa Cakes past were more of the sort of comedic ones, but I'm not quite sure how you would condense all of this into an hour-long film, but it's perfectly feasible, isn't it? It wouldn't, it wouldn't look out of place. Yes, yeah. So, Gary, you enjoyed this. I did. Yes, I did indeed. So if we yes. put another 70s or 80s children's drama of a similar type on the table, you'll go for that? Yeah, okay, well, let's go with um, Marmalade Atkins. There you go. Drama. Now, we're already committed to Warrior Queen because we hate geese. Well, thank you very much, Brody, for joining us. And I'm sure we'll be speaking to yourself on the podcast again soon, Brody. And so happy summer in the meantime, because I know that's what it is, where you are. And in the meantime, tell what we're talking about next week. Next week, we've realised it's December, it's festive, and we're going to be looking at the ITV All-Star Christmas Comedy Carnival, at least the bits that still exist. Fantastic. And I know that you're a huge fan of Jimmy Tarbuck, so that's going to be a way of a time for yourself. So, in the meantime, if you've got anything for us at all, you can tweet us at Jaffa Cakes for Proust. You can email us feedback at sitcomclub.com. You can also find us on Facebook as Jaffa Cakes for Proust as well. And don't forget, of course, to check out all our previous shows on podnose.com, where you will find 800 podcasts in total across all the different shows on the Podnose network. So, in the meantime, from Birdie. Goodbye. <laughs> from Tilt. Goodbye, and The Changes is available on DVD on the BFI label. This is Gary saying thank you very much indeed for listening to Jaffa Geeks for Bruce.